Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the growing need for businesses to adapt to heightened customer experience expectations. Between a continually changing business environment to increasingly sophisticated consumers, this presents a need for companies to tackle these challenges from multiple angles and perspectives. Recently, Optimizely, one of the leading providers of digital experience platform solutions, announced the results of a global study of nearly 1,200 business executives and 5,000 consumers around the globe that shines a light on both the expectations of customers and the challenges that companies face in delivering on these expectations. To help me discuss this topic and the results discussed in this report, I'd like to welcome Alex Atzberger, CEO of Optimizely. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to be with you. Yeah, really looking forward to this discussion. Uh, so before we get into um, some of the questions, I'd love to hear a little bit about why you chose to undertake this report and why it's so important for businesses to have this discussion about adaptability and agility. Yeah, for us, Greg, it's important, obviously, to, to do reports like this because ultimately I want to lead a company based on data. I personally believe that today to be a modern CEO of a company, you need to have a perspective on uh, obviously the market, on your consumers, on your customers. And for me, you know, reports like this are fundamental in terms of how we actually build our own business, but also how we engage with our customers, our constituencies, and use uh, reports like this to have the discussion about, in this case, how to adapt uh, to your to your customer needs. I speak to many um, C-level executives who call out that one of the big challenges and changes over the last years has been that they can no longer uh, command or determine how the customer will engage with them, but it's really the customer's choice and you have to adapt to your customer. Referencing the research that Optimizely did, um, 90% or more of business executives agree with the following four points. Their company must be able to adapt quickly to drive value for customers. Their company needs to show uh, that same type of adaptability to grow the business. If their company was more adaptive, it would be easier to achieve their top outcomes. And finally, it's a top priority for their business to be more adaptive in 2022. So it sounds like business executives are in alignment that business agility and adaptivity is a top priority. Um, so with all of that, I want to discuss uh, some of the areas highlighted in the report as, as barriers holding organizations back from being more adaptive um, and talk about some solutions to these challenges. Um, so let's start with delivery of personalized experiences to customers. Um, nearly half or 47% of business executives that responded to the research um, said that implementing personalization requires too many resources and or time. As the CEO of a company that enables this type of enhancement to to digital experience, what would your advice be uh, to those that say this? Greg, I have a lot of uh, conversations, obviously, with our customers and prospects around this this topic. And I do believe that in any form of change, anything that you are driving inside a company, 
you always um, need a sense of urgency to kick off initiatives and to ultimately drive them to success. And I think the, the part that is very eye-opening for me is that over the last two years, as we experienced the global pandemic, we saw an acceleration around projects that previously were deemed as too complicated, too difficult, or taking too long. And it's all because there was a resolve and a need that suddenly became so apparent that companies and organizations were able to execute things much more quickly than they ever anticipated. And so for me, it always comes back to this notion of, do you have enough urgency and enough resolve inside the company and inside your organization to actually uh, go, you know, and for instance, drive a personalization effort. And there we work with many, many companies together who have that, you know, even C-level or CEO-driven initiative around personalization because they deem it to be such an important uh, matter. So ultimately for me, it's you need to build the case for change. You need to have the sense of urgency behind it. And I think you can absolutely do this if you have the right level of resolve. Um, you just need to really build the case inside your company. And I think it starts with understanding your customer and where they go to buy. And once you do that work, you will see that you need personalization. So looking at this um, from the flip side, maybe when you look at this from the perspective of the, of the consumer, we see a lot of uh, statistics and research pointing to an expectation of personalization and even a disappointment when experiences aren't tailored, including your ser survey, which shows uh, not only are their expectations higher than ever, but 49% of consumers say their expectations for brand experiences are not even being met. Uh, what's the mindset of the brand that gets this and, and really, you know, truly embraces this? And how does it differ from the organization that is, you know, for lack of a better term, stuck in the old way of doing things? Yeah, I, I think the, it starts with having a mindset um, that actually wants to, to learn and evolve and actually, you know, take a... Um, you know, take an understanding that you need to be, uh, you need to drive digital maturity in terms of your own organization. And I have conversations with with CEOs, for instance, who say, you know, uh, who clearly understand that they need to move there and that they need to become, you know, digitally much more mature. And when I have conversations with uh, the, those CEOs, you know, it's it's all about, you know, ultimately it's about the mindset. Do you have a mindset of failing fast? Do you have a mindset of building um, not for perfection, but actually for, for speed? And ultimately recognizing that it's not the size of your company that matters, but it's a, a, a agility and the speed at which you can move that actually matters in today's market. Yeah? And so there's a lot of similarities over time that you see of companies and brands that get it. Um, you see it in terms of the people they hire. You see it in terms of the initiatives that they pursue. You see it in terms of how data-driven the companies are. You even see it in terms of the technology stack. We have a lot of customers who use similar solutions for the marketing and technology solutions inside the tech stack. And oftentimes, it's a very good predictor about how successful the companies will be on their initiatives, because you can see if they invest in modern technology um, that is, uh, you know, uh, flexible, agile, and allows them to really make data-driven decisions, and they tend to do really, really well. And you see it in their performance. Uh, while you have other companies that are much more timid in terms of their approach and their investment, and I believe those companies will fall further and further behind. 
to build on that, the the idea of the the mindset required. Let's talk a little bit about risk taking. So, you know, sometimes taking that a, a step further. So, forty one percent of those um, surveyed in in the report that you just released said that a barrier to being more adaptive is that their organization takes minimal risks. I think we all understand why an organization might be risk averse, but with so much data pointing to the risk of not taking risks, um, how do you recommend that organizations look at this uh, perhaps in a different way, but look at it in a way that doesn't feel so threatening? Yeah, it's an excellent, excellent question and something that we obviously work a lot on, especially at, at our company, because we help companies set up a culture of experimentation. And experimentation is ultimately all about uh, uh, observing your customer behavior, seeing what works, what doesn't work, and then moving more of your customers towards a solution that works. You know? yeah. And uh, while you do this, you obviously have experiments that uh, work out and you have experiments that fail. Yeah. And what's remarkable is that some companies get very discouraged when they see, for instance, that they run a test and the test is negative or it doesn't work out. And they get discouraged and then basically say, like, oh, we should maybe stop our testing program. While you should actually be doing exactly the opposite, because once you test and have a negative um, or failed experiment, you should actually see it as, a, as, as something you didn't waste money or time on because yeah. you just tested it. And... So you really need to take the word failure and failing and put it into a completely different context of, of learning. I mean, how does a child learn? How do you learn about things? You test things out, and if they don't work, you, know, you move on to the next thing. But you have actually now just uh, avoided spending a lot of money and effort on something that didn't work. And I've had unbelievable conversations recently with some customers who told me how elaborate they've done certain tests and they, they failed and they were ecstatic that they actually failed. They actually enjoy them more. And that's what I think companies need to do is they need to think more about, you know, the, again, this notion about learning and how you can actually understand your customer behaviors better by, by for instance, testing and experimenting rather than seeing it as a risk that you are taking for the business. Um, and I think if you put it under that lens, uh, suddenly a lot of decisions become a lot easier. So how does having the right technology tools and platform help enable more experimentation? And maybe to add to that as well, how do you know when you have the right technology tools and platform? Yeah, I talk normally less about just the technology itself. I normally talk about really about this the notion of partnership when we work with our customers, because it's so much more than the technology. Of course, we are proud of the technology we have. Um, to help, for instance, companies, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, test and actually look at, you know, do they have the right content and how can they actually bring the right content to the right audience? And there's a lot of sophisticated tech that goes into this. But I think the bigger part is you um, need to actually have behind this also the right statistical models, for instance, so that you can get better results even with less data. Um, that you run the type of tests like a multivariant test, which tends to do much better than a single A-B test, things like that. But most importantly is actually then how you actually work with a customer in terms of adapting the technology, um, understanding how the technology actually can create value and outcomes. And this is really important for me is ultimately, you know, we, we tend, especially in the tech industry, to talk so much about the technology 
uh, versus the outcomes that we want to achieve. And the outcomes are, you know, more conversions, more revenue, a better customer experience. And there, I think it really matters how you actually work with a company together, how you actually provide them advice and services around your technology so that you really maximize the outcome. The, the technology is very powerful um, today. In many cases, I think it's ahead of it. I just had a, somebody tell me, um, you know, sometimes it feels like people uh, have a Ferrari, but you don't drive stick. You know, right, right. And, and and I think that's that's a bit of this 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 challenge that you know you as an organization you you need to really be able to take advantage of all the great capabilities that technology provides today. So for me, it's you choose a technology, you choose a platform, but you also really choose somebody to live with and somebody to be your partner. And uh, we want to be that for our customers, obviously. Yeah, well, and to kind of build on that, the the Ferrari. Um... That's I I've heard that one a few times my, myself. To build on that, uh, let's talk about some of the internal challenges that uh, that organizations are are often facing. So it, again, in your report, nearly one third of executives surveyed said that their marketing team is limited in what they're able to achieve on their own without uh, technical help or IT teams and and stuff. Can you talk a little bit to this point and, uh, you know, why is this so important for marketers to be able to be more independent and um, despite uh, marketing itself being more reliant on technology? Yeah, I think the, the evolution of, of marketing has been, uh, has been particularly interesting because if you think about a marketeer, initially there was a lot of focus on brand marketing and how you position your brand and then over time, Marketing has uh, ex- extended and obviously evolved into not just, you know, hosting fancy events or other things, but really has become the, a business engine for how to obviously create demand, manage demand, and and for you know so many businesses uh, that's the lifeblood obviously of the company. You know? and then it obviously has taken a big step that especially in the pandemic, you know, suddenly. You know the number the only way for companies to actually engage with your brand was was digitally so you kind of had an evolution where it was you know digital was like a nice to have at one point and marketing kind of dabbled in it to you know a digital first strategy and then at one point it even became uh, during the pandemic a digital only uh, strategy and as this evolved i think the the requirements to the marketeer have changed quite a bit it's very different when you can have um, local events, for instance, and you see people and you meet people and you and engage uh, people directly with your brand and you can be a brand ambassador, it's very different when people come to your website and you don't see them and you need to understand what does your customer or your prospect actually look for and how do you start to personalize the experience? How do you show the right content to the right person? How do you do that at scale? So suddenly a lot of um, a lot of new questions come up. And then how do you actually move somebody through a demand funnel? How do you nurture a relationship that, for instance, is online? So a lot of new competencies, a lot of new um, questions that arise for a marketeer at that point. And what I find is that a lot of marketeers are obviously extremely ambitious, extremely uh, uh, driven by showing results, driving, for instance, outcomes. But in many ways, they feel very restricted by the time it takes to actually implement something on digital, because oftentimes they will need to go through a developer, an engineer to make a change. 
And one of the big ch ch challenges with that, obviously, is time and speed and the ability to to drive results. So if I, for instance, as a CEO, go to my CMO and say like, oh, I would love to run this campaign and why are we not in market with this yet? And the answer is like, oh, it takes us time to basically implement it. That would be horrible. You know? And so, you know, the, the marketeer obviously wants to be independent, wants to have the ability to have solutions where they can implement changes themselves without having to rely on, uh, on others to actually drive it. And um, I, for me, this is a very important design factor because, you know, we build our solutions, for instance, around the needs of the marketeer uh, because they are our key customer. And they should also be able to run experiments, for instance, by themselves around content. They should be able to do great content marketing. They should be able to understand the analytics of the site of what are people interested in. All of those sort of things um, need to be able to be driven from the marketer by themselves. And if they are not, again, it, it slows down the organization. It also can be confusing to the organization who is really responsible or at least accountable for creating demand, you know? yeah. and um, and I think those are then internal barriers that start to uh, impede the business results. So kind of follow on to that from a, from a content perspective. So also according to the research, um, seventy five percent of business executives surveyed believe that good content's being created in their organizations yet poorly leveraged. So some of some of this you you already addressed as far as the the barrier to from you know between marketers and the technology that they're using but also you know what would your advice be to organizations about smart content creation in the age of personalization so you know we know that um, if you're only creating a single version of something that's that's a lot easier than thinking through whether it's multivariate testing or localization or just different, you know, personalizing things at, at different stages. What advice would you give to, to those organizations that may even have the right idea about creating content, but just need to start thinking about personalization and, and content creation in the, in, in the modern age, let's say? Yeah, I thought that was a fantastic uh, or very interesting data point with the 75% of executives yeah. believing that, the, that, that there's good content. Because oftentimes I feel that this good content is uh, locked up or not visible uh, to the right right people, and matching the right content to the right right folks, I think, is a is a big challenge that a lot of uh, companies have. Uh, content is something we spend a lot of time on. It's at the very heart of of Optimizely. Uh, it's something we um, have very strong strong points of view on. But we believe that you are what you read, you know, you are what content you look at, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, you, uh, you are what podcasts you listen to. Yeah? And one of the things that I found most helpful for companies was a very simple uh, view of their content. And it's basically like a matrix where on one side, we say, what content do you publish? And then on the other side is of the matrix is basically uh, what content uh, do people read? You know? And what you basically yeah. see is how much content have you published on a certain given topic versus what are um, your, your prospects or customers reading. So if you applied it to your podcast, you know, out of your 100 plus shows, how many of those had, for instance, a topic on digital experience versus maybe the future of work? You know? right. And then you know, where do people actually spend most of their time? And do you have maybe too few episodes on 
digital and too many on, let's say, the future of work. Yeah? And so you start to get analytical and data-driven around your content production and what people are actually interested in. And so we do this for companies that sometimes have hundreds, thousands of pages of content. I mean, it's, there's a massive amount of content out there. And what you oftentimes find is it's surprising to companies and to suddenly recognize, oh, I did not know that you know, certain topics were in such high demand, but I actually have so little content on those. Yeah? Yeah. While I've been investing in so much content that nobody looks at. And I think it's a, it's a big topic in, in, in my point of view in marketing organizations about where do you spend money? What's the return on investment on what you're spending on? But I think there's a lot of content being produced that um, might be good quality, but it never actually you know, finds the right person. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of content being produced that is ultimately a, a waste. And, and I think, you know, my recommendation would be strongly to companies to uh, get analytical about the content they produce, to look at the ROI of the content they produce and see how they can leverage, again, better, you know, uh, personalization and, and targeting technology to actually, uh, you know, serve up the right content at the right part of the customer journey. Um, to customers, because I do think that a, the, a great piece of content is extraordinarily powerful um, to drive a, a, a brand. But I would argue that probably a lot of executives that believe that there's really good content out there might not necessarily know what content is most popular with their customer base. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a great segue to the next uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about with you, which is you know, how businesses are able to use data to understand their customers better. And you touched a little bit on this um, already, but want to dive a little deeper into it. Um, also, you know, according to the research that, that Optimizely conducted, roughly 70% of businesses say they don't have a full view into the customer journey, nor can they easily get, um, gather gradual insights into what is driving customer experiences. So this means there's a struggle at both the micro as well as the macro levels in getting a basic understanding of what uh, the customer is experiencing. What does this lack of understanding often cause organizations to do as an alternative? And what do you see as the solution for this? Yeah, this is, uh, this is a big, big question. Uh, and I think there's a lot of uh, angles to this. I, I think the first one for me is that every customer, um, or every, every company, wants to gain a better understanding of their customers through different means. They, uh, for instance, use surveys to ask customers how an experience was. Um, they uh, invest in, in other tools to gain data on customers, demographic data, other data. And while it's very powerful to start to connect all these data points together, uh, it starts with a simple fact, which is 90% of the traffic, for instance, to a company's website is unknown. You don't know the person who's actually coming to your site. And typically, until they register or until they make a purchase, you really don't know this customer yet. So that's the first problem. Yeah? Yeah. And so many companies spend a lot of time and money on initiatives that are post-sale uh, oriented versus really understanding the customer when they engage with your brand right from the very beginning. And there are ways, including, for instance, looking at the behaviors people have. Imagine you go to a retail store in, in person. People don't know that you are Greg. They don't know 
you know, you had your demo, they don't know you have the specifics about you, et cetera. They don't have all customer data really readily available, but they look at you in terms of what you actually do in the store. So if you browse a certain section of the store, they can, you can gauge the interest and somebody who is an, a, a, a client advisor in the, in, in that, in that retail example could come over to you and make suggestions to you based on what you browsed. Yeah. yeah. So there are ways to absolutely understand customers and start personalizing the experience early on. The second challenge is that uh, that so many times in companies, a lot of the initiatives around understanding customers are still very disjointed and led by a lot of different teams, even if they are part, for instance, of the marketing organization. But we find more and more that, for instance, product teams start to conduct research around the customer. Mm. The same, obviously, as marketing is doing. And you do need to bring these initiatives together. So for me, you know, the first step is, you know, really understanding your, your customer, even if they are unknown to you on your site, much, much earlier, much better. And the second is you do need to bring together some of these different streams around your customer, but you don't necessarily need to believe that you need to know your, your customer's social security number, and right. this up, but, but you don't need to know that level of detail on, to on a customer in order to start to provide them a good, good experience. And I think, you know, this is why I, I am a very strong proponent of behavioral analysis and understanding their behaviors, because I think they say more about the customer, including, by the way, what content they read, you know, yeah. than necessarily a demographical data um, because that might sometimes lead you to wrong conclusions, especially if you use segmentation models that are based on um, outside-in beliefs about what a segment wants, yeah, versus under, truly understanding the individual. Well, um, one last question before we wrap up here. Um, so Optimizely has a lot of experience helping organizations create better digital experiences, learn more about their customers, bridge some of the gaps we discussed, really um, help with a lot of the things that we discussed here, or all of them, really. Um, what was the biggest surprise or perhaps even new finding that this research brought to light for you and Optimizely? And what does this learning mean for businesses that are in the process of improving their customer experience? Like one finding that surprised me quite a bit was in regards to privacy. It's a topic we haven't discussed so far. And, and yeah. Uh, what surprised me about it is there's basically two school of thoughts. One is privacy really doesn't matter to consumers uh, as much as people make it out to be because ultimately you just want to buy something, etc. So what's the big deal? And people, you know, become more and more comfortable sharing their, their, their private information. That's one thought. The other school of thought is, you know, uh, data privacy actually does matter a lot for to consumers. You know, all the cookie policies that you click through in the beginning are, you know, of a website experience are still, you know, um, not really doing their job. But ultimately, data privacy actually really does matter. And, you know, I personally sometimes believe more the, 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 the first example that it doesn't matter as much. But the data, uh, you know, taught me uh, it actually does matter. 85% of consumers say they will prioritize a digital experience that is privacy centric and respect the personal data. And this is one of these examples of why we do research like this, because it kind of, you know, obviously gives us data and, and scientific approaches to actually make better decisions and what matters to customers and ultimately to consumers. 
And so we can ensure that our solutions actually provide that level of data privacy that people expect. But um, I thought that was very interesting. And, you know, while the data is, you know, starts to shift a little bit as, you know, in the younger generations, um, it is definitely something that companies need to consider in creating their digital experience on how they manage data and how they also communicate about their data privacy programs. Well, Alex, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you and Optimizely are doing? The best way to do it is to do go to our digital experience, and that's Optimizely.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Optimizely, or if you uh, like to hear from me directly, I'm on Twitter at A. Atzberger, and also on LinkedIn, uh, you can find some of my, my thoughts on, on digital. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Alex Atzberger, CEO of Optimizely, for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.